Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM, where we talk to business leaders and experts to gain valuable insights that will help you move your business forward. Welcome to another episode of Conversations in Business with RSM. I'm Mark Humphreys. I'm a director in legal, and I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Philip Kruger, who's also a director in the legal department. Uh, what we're going to be discussing today is workplace policies in light of, of COVID and, and mandatory vaccines and return to work. The first question I'm going to ask, Phil, is uh, how are companies approaching policies such as, for example, mandatory vaccines? Thanks, Mark. Uh, and that, that's a really good question, especially in the light of, of what we've seen uh, more or less at the end of, of 2021. We saw a number of of the larger corporates commit towards saying they are adopting mandatory vaccination policies. And and most of those policies then looking forward towards being effective uh, either in January, where we are now in 2022, or early within the first quarter. And generally what we've seen uh, from these large corporates is is a fairly methodical and and logical approach taken by what what would be the employers in this case. At this stage, everyone's quite well aware of potential risks and pitfalls of uh, mandatory vaccination policies. It's been a hotly debated topic for at least a a year prior to implementing these policies. And uh, what we've seen most large corporates do is to place at the central point of a a well-implemented vaccination policy um, a proper risk assessment exercise. And that would mean that before the employer actually adopts a policy, they have to consider a number of things. Uh, Firstly, it would be whether the implementation of a policy on mandatory vaccinations is justifiable given its physical environment and the nature of its business and also its operational requirements. Then they would also need to look at how they would identify those employees who, by virtue of risk of transmission through their work, must be vaccinated. And they would have to consider how proper consultative process with the employees will be provided for and how to really give meaning to the consultative process. And then lastly, a very important item would be how objections uh, to the possible implementation of this mandatory vaccination policy should be considered by the employer and what type of consultation should be had in that regard. No, that's exactly it. And I think what a lot of employers forget, uh, you know, you're talking about the large-scale employers who have had a lot of advice from, from council around how to implement these policies. But I think what we've seen with a lot of smaller and medium-sized firms is that they're trying to piggyback off what they're hearing in the news. And they're trying to then implement a, ma- a mandatory vaccine policy without following all the steps and due process. I uh, recently saw a matter in the CCMA where uh, it was actually a law firm, which is, which is quite uh, interesting in the Western Cape. The senior partner asked the staff if they had been vaccinated, and one of the candidate's attorneys responded by saying that um, he, he is not vaccinated, has no intention of being vaccinated uh, for a variety of reasons, which he's happy to discuss with the senior partner. Uh, a day later, the senior partner wrote back to him and said to him, Thank you. Your last working day will be X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Proceeded to dismiss him because of the failure to be vaccinated. Now, in this particular case, there was no risk assessment undertaken. There was no consultation with the staff. There was no counselling of individuals who decided not to take up the vaccine. And I think what what employers need to be particularly careful about is that they need to realise that the implementation of a mandatory vaccine policy 
does not come at the expense of employee rights, particularly procedural rights, uh, prior to the implementation of the policy. And, and that sort of flies in the face of a case that's recently been decided in the CCMA, that uh, deals with Gold Rush uh, as an employer, where they uh, dismissed an individual who refused to be vaccinated. And in that particular case, the employer had implemented a mandatory vaccine policy after an extensive uh, risk assessment, following a further process whereby they allowed um, employees to consult on that policy and engage with subject experts around vaccines. And thereafter, only once they completed that extensive consultation process, did they then look at individuals who refused to be vaccinated and where there was no way to reasonably accommodate those individuals elsewhere. And, And that's, I suppose, one of the cruxes of, of, of whether or not you can dismiss following mandatory vaccine policy is, are you able to accommodate these employees elsewhere? And in this particular case, the employee was required to regularly participate with other employees and, and even clients, regularly attended client um, premises and the like. So the argument was that this, client, this employee was, was exposed regularly to individuals in order to render it a safe workplace an environment, they required the individual to be vaccinated and the refusal to be vaccinated then incapacitated it. And the CCMA agreed. And I think what a lot of employers should take from that is that merely because somebody refuses to be vaccinated doesn't automatically mean that they're incapacitated. The employer must still demonstrate and prove that they are incapacitated. And then a lot of employers are going to have a hard time proving this because their employees have been working from home, for example, for the last two years. Now, how do you demonstrate in those circumstances that you cannot accommodate them? If on the flip side of it, you are an electrician, for example, this is the case I use for for a lot of my clients, and and you're required to attend a client premises. Your employer, I think, in those circumstances, well within their rights to say that you are required to be vaccinated to keep other employees and clients safe. And and in those circumstances, you demonstrate incapacity because there's no other way to accommodate that particular employee. But I think really what clients should be doing is realising that if they are going to embark upon dismissals following the implementation of a mandatory vaccine policy, they should really be treading with caution and take proper advice before doing so. Absolutely. Mark, one thing that, that I noticed in the, in the Gold Rush case as well, and I think it, it, it's quite pertinent, particularly in light of, of, of what you've said now as well, is that Gold Rush had in place not only an objection process in terms of which employees could object, uh, both on constitutional or medical grounds. But in addition to that, they also had an appeals process, an internal appeals process that could be followed. So in other words, this individual would have had proper consultation before the implementation of this policy, during the implementation of this policy, then had an opportunity to to lay an objection in front of the the committee that was considering that, and it had a separate committee that that would then hear um, an appeal on that basis before the matter even got to the CCMA. Um, And I think that's quite important in in this regard, that Mm. employers need to understand that if an objection is raised uh, by an employee, they can't just pay lip service. Um, to considering uh, this objection. They actually do need to consider whether this objection is reasonable. 
And if it is found to be reasonable, like you said, how they can reasonably accommodate uh, this, this employee. And particularly, as you said, uh, with employees having worked from home, that can be quite tricky. Um, yes. Some of the other things that, that could be considered would, uh, for instance, be to have the employee continue to work from home or off-site or even within isolation in the workplace, um, requiring the employee to wear an N95 mask. Um, a physical reorganization of the, the work environment uh, could assist in this regard, and even a restructuring of job requirements um, in order to to ensure that that employee can uh, remain employed. So, so really, as you say, the, a, a proper regard has to be had uh, for the rights of the employee. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think what, what employers should take from this as well is that the onus is on the employer to justify the dismissal in the circumstances as a reverse onus in, in labour matters. The case law is very strict around this, that there must be no other alternative to, in terms of accommodating the individual. Um, in terms of reasonable accommodation. Obviously, they, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth, but there must be reasonable accommodation in circumstances. And, and as you've mentioned, there's a number of grounds in which an employee can object to having a, a vaccine, and, and those really revolve around constitutional grounds like the right to bodily integrity, freedom of religion, and belief or opinion. Now, what a lot of employees would say in those circumstances, but aren't those rights supposed to be paramount? Aren't they supposed to be mutable, that they can't be eroded by an employer or even the government? What would you say to them in those circumstances? Mark, you know, as, as most of us know, that fundamental rights are in, in, indeed entrenched in the Constitution, and it is really something that was put in place for people to protect their rights and to, to really safeguard themselves. But one can only really exercise your fundamental rights to the extent that it doesn't hurt or harm others. For example, you can't rely on your rights of freedom of movement or freedom of expression if you want to assault someone, for instance. So the, the extent to which your right can be exercised stops at the point where, where there's harm to others being done. And then in particular with, with public interest, um, the public interest being so high, uh, in respect of curbing uh, the, the COVID-19 virus, um, one could argue that um, your, your, your fundamental rights only goes so far given the situation. Um, and then we also know that every fundamental right can be limited in terms of Section 36 of the Constitution, which provides that such fundamental rights can be limited um, if such limitation is reasonable and justifiable in an open and democratic society. So, so certainly, yes, fundamental rights are important and, and they are absolutely there to shield individuals, but they can be limited and should be limited if, um, if the, the unconsidered uh, exercise of that right would lead to harm to others. Correct. And, and I think one of the, the main reasons to limit that right would be workplace safety. Um, you know, that we want to have our employees in a safe environment. And yes, obviously, uh, there's lots of literature to demonstrate that the vaccines aren't 100% effective, but they are effective in keeping symptoms uh, limited, uh, reducing hospitalizations. And uh, those things are important factors to consider when applying the limitation towards these fundamental rights. 
And, and I think also what, what we're noticing with a lot of employees as well is that they, they're not relying on any constitutional grounds. Some people are, are merely just being obstructive and saying they don't want to be vaccinated. It's my right not to be vaccinated. They can't provide a reason why not. Um, yes, it is your body. You have the right to choose uh, whether or not you're vaccinated, but there are consequences. And so if you don't get vaccinated, what is the consequence? Well, it may result in a dismissal. And in those circumstances, from a practical perspective, the dismissal may or may not be fair. You'll refer the matter to the CCMA. And whilst that matter is pending in the CCMA, you may try and seek additional new employment. What is the first question any employer is going to ask you? Are you vaccinated? So as an employee, if you're refusing to be vaccinated, there's considerable risk to you in the circumstances. Um, and they touched on that in this in this gold rush case. The employee said she felt con- uh, exceptional emotional and public um, pressure to get vaccinated. And I suppose that's what government at this stage is also relying on, is that there's, there's pressure from, from every angle for people to get vaccinated. And the sooner we get vaccinated as a general population, let's be honest, the sooner we can drop the, the national lockdown and the state of national disaster and move into an open, open and free economy again, which will benefit everyone. Absolutely, Mark. And then you're quite right that that civil duty or social contract um, that that we've sort of seen emerge is becoming more and more important. And and as you rightly say, it's becoming a driving factor in in the the vaccination drive. And, uh, you know, in in a sense, what we're seeing here is almost the creation of law itself in that the law has always been what would be acceptable within the norms of society and what's not acceptable. And from there, you sort of have this social rule, social pressure starting to build, which eventually becomes enacted as to what is acceptable behaviour and what is not. And it's actually very interesting to watch this unfold. I definitely, you know, what's, what's interesting reading this latest CCMA um, award, what the CCMA does is that they're not applying new principles to the matter. They're applying existing law, and in so doing, they are uh, definitely expanding upon this, this social contract, this bony mores of society, you know, what is acceptable in the workplace. So it's be interesting to see, and I think ultimately, yes, the case will probably be appealed or reviewed to the Labour Court, and we'll see what the Labour Court or the Labour Appeal Court has to say, and it'll be quite interesting. But it's, um, I suspect that they will take a very similar line, provided that the employer has complied with the law regarding an incapacity dismissal. I cannot see a court challenging the reasoning of the commissioner in these circumstances. It's a well-reasoned and thought-out judgment. And I think employees just need to be careful. And uh, but similarly, employers must be careful as well before embarking upon this. And I suppose that, you know, that brings us to the, to the next sort of uh, issue in this is, well, how do we balance the rights of employees? You know, you may have deeply religious employees who it's genuinely not part of their religion to receive a, a vaccine and it would be um, you know, emotionally quite a, a difficult thing for them to do to go through and have a, have a vaccine. Uh, but at the same time, well, this needs to be balanced against the rights of the employer uh, who wants to provide a, a, a work environment that is safe for all employees. I'm right, Mark. Um, so as you say, it's, it's, it's ultimately this, this sort of fine balancing act of, of fairness that needs to be found. 
Um, I think there can be no doubt that employers do have the right to protect their business interests. That um, is also something that one can argue from a fundamental rights point of view. Fundamental rights are applicable to heuristic entities insofar as they can be applicable. And certainly your, your business interests deserve protection. Um, therefore, the employers would be well within their rights to, to implement mandatory vaccination strategies. However, they cannot simply then ignore uh, objections raised by employees or simply pay lip service to attempting to reasonably accommodate employees in order to, to enable them to remain employed. And uh, failure of employers to do so uh, would most certainly still constitute an unfair dismissal, uh, irrespective of the, the policy implemented or, how, or well, how well thought out that uh, policy might be. Um, so, so ultimately, employers will have to implement mandatory vaccination policies uh, with the most respect that they could possibly have for the rights of their employees and, and in the utmost good faith. Yeah, definitely. And, and I agree. And I think, you know, around unfair dismissals, um, what employers must just be mindful of is that uh, in order for a dismissal to be fair, it's got to be both substantively and procedurally fair. And procedural fairness must predate uh, substantive fairness. So procedural fairness refers to the things like, you know, actually considering and applying their minds to the objections by employees and then giving the opportunity for the employee to state their case really before there's a dismissal. Um, and then substantive fairness would refer to, is there a good reason to dismiss in the circumstances? So I think, you know, employers, you know, just to hammer the point home, need to be careful, but at the same time, they do have rights to dismiss following the implementation of a mandatory vaccine policy, provided they meet all the requirements that we've discussed about. And, and other issues that, that come across uh, my desk is around return to work. And one of the, one of the most commonly asked questions that I, that I receive at this stage is, is an employer entitled to dictate uh, where I work at, or can I by right work from home? And, and, and what are your thoughts on that? No, Mark, it's an interesting question. From my point of view, it all depends on contract between the employee and the employer. Um, typically, what you would see uh, in an employment contract is that the employer, uh, in fact, does determine uh, where the employee should be uh, rendering their service from. So typically, contractually, uh, from the outset, the employee would have consented to the employer being able to require the employee to either render services from the workplace or from another location stipulated by the employer. And I think that's an important, an important issue that many individuals miss when they start evaluating these types of questions. Definitely, and I, and I completely agree. Most employment contracts that I have seen definitely dictate where the employee is required to render services. And, and secondly, they provide a lot of flexibility for employers in the sense of that they, they say that you will render your services at X location or anywhere else where the employer specifies. And yes, whilst we were under hard lockdown, the the employee could only have ever worked from home if they were capable of working from home. But after after lockdown has ended, there has been no regulation, legislation or directive put in place which provides an employee with an outright entitlement to remain at home and work from home. So what are the consequences of that is that if an employee refuses to return to work, 
uh, an employer is well within their rights then to dismiss the employee uh, on a number of grounds. Uh, the first and primary being, I suppose, the breach of contract in the sense that the employment contract dictates where you're into the services. If you fail to comply with that particular provision, would be a breach of contract. Uh, secondly, it would be a misconduct in the sense that you've refused to obey a lawful instruction from the employer to return to work. Um, so employees should be should tread carefully in those circumstances. And it's always best to attempt to negotiate as opposed to take a hardline view. Because typically what we find with employees who take hardline views is those employees are, are the ones that end up being dismissed, unfortunately, because they're unwilling to accommodate the employer's instructions. On the other hand, if the employment contract is silent for where you work, there would be uh, more of a, an argument to say that there is, no argue, there is no particular flexibility that's provided. However, given custom and usage and you know, what has occurred, I think it would be a difficult line of argument to take by the employee, uh, particularly given the common rules that deals with employment contracts. It does give the employer a right to instruct the employee where to perform their duties. So ultimately, I think even if the employment contract is silent, employees would have a hard time in saying that they have an absolute right to work from home. If your contract, on the other hand, does say that you are that you're to work from home contract, different story. And then I, I suppose that then moves to the next question around, well, what are employees doing? Are they moving towards uh, a complete return to work? Are employees still favouring a work from home environment? Or are employers moving towards a more flexible work, uh, work from home coupled with uh, coming into the office environment? W- what have you encountered in practice, Phil? So, Mark, what, what we've seen is that a lot of employers are indeed wanting to, to see employees back at the office. I think we see that particularly uh, from a point of view that your corporate culture has sort of suffered in the last two years without being able to, to spend time together, to sit around a table, brainstorm ideas, uh, or to, to do the sort of typical uh, around the cooler talk um, so, so typically, we are seeing employers wanting employees back within an office environment. But what we are also seeing is a lot of flexibility in that regard. And, and, and that's a good thing uh, for me to see. I think that it would have been an opportunity missed if um, we were to simply revert back to the status quo after having spent so much time and investing so much money in creating infrastructure that allows for more flexibility in the workplace. So what we are typically seeing, and and particularly within the banking industry as well, is that even though employers want to see employees back at the office, it would usually be some form of combination uh, um, between work from home and and work from the, the office. So typically it would be based on a two to three day per week basis that employees would return to office, which also then helps with social distancing requirements since you get to stagger or at least rotate then what days which employees will be at the office. So these are typically things that we are seeing and that's really actually working quite well in practice, uh, provided that um, both sides are amenable to flexibility. No, correct. And, and that's exactly what, what I'm seeing with, uh, with my clients as well. Some of some of my clients are favouring a, a physical return to work for all employees, 
Um, and that those clients that have seen significant decreases in productivity from their staff over the past two years. However, the predominant uh, sort of view that I'm getting from our clients is that they're moving towards a more flexible arrangement, uh, as you said, uh, you know, two, three times in the office, uh, particularly to ensure that uh, certain teams meet and are able to meet and, and uh, engage in terms of their workflows. And the other thing that we are seeing is a more flexible approach to working hours as well. What employers are doing is, is saying, well, we need to have eight hours in the day, but when, if you start at 10 o'clock or if you start at five o'clock, it doesn't make a difference. So there are uh, employers are moving away from traditional, you know, the nine to five, uh, five days a week approach to a more flexible arrangement in those employers that can take that approach. And that, that really is in the back of how the working environment has changed so much in the last two years of people working from home and having more time with their families and, you know, taking their bike out for a spin over lunchtime, which they would not have, <laughs> to have done um, if they were in, in a normal traditional job. And then, and then I've got some employers who are saying, well, we're never going to return to the workplace. Our business has demonstrated that we can survive without having to be at the workplace. And the nature of the work that we do doesn't require a workplace. So we actually, we've cancelled our leases and we're just going to work from home. And that also works. But then that begs the question, well, an employer is required to provide a safe working environment in terms of uh, quota and, and related regulations. How does an employer do that when an employee works from home? They have no control over, for example, how the employee sits at a desk, for example. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Mark, that, that of course, is, is sort of the key question uh, at the moment. And uh, uh, the typical example that you, you often find is if an employee is walking from the second story of his house to the ground floor and uh, he's on his way to his study uh, to, to attend to his day's work and he falls down the stairs, um, you know, is there indeed a, a claim uh, in, in that regard or not? And um, one of the interesting facets of this would be is that employers generally would have to do a work environment risk assessment in, in this regard. And the question is, how do you now implement a, a work environment assessment? Do you do it by way of a questionnaire that work from home staff must complete? Um, do you physically have to have a work representative go out and do an assessment of the environment that the employee will be working in? It's, it's quite difficult at this point in time. Um, I think without a doubt, if you do get injured, even if you are working from home, and you can prove that that injury occurred uh, within the course and scope of exercising your duties uh, as an employee, there should be some form of claim. Um, it's just the mechanics around it that's actually quite difficult at this point in time. No, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see once um, you know, claims like that become more prevalent in the industry, what if there are any directives that are issued by the health and safety authorities around uh, claims when you're working from home. But there's there's no reason, as you said, that such a claim would ever be would be should be precluded because provided the individuals working within the course and scope of their duties uh, could technically be a, a quite a claim, an occupational health and safety claim. So It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the long run. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I think that's, you know, that's really the, the interesting part of being within an environment where we are less focused 
on on the virus or, or the, the pandemic itself, even though there's still a focus there and there's still a tension there, we're also sort of trying to plot out, you know, how we will continue doing the things that we were doing before uh, the pandemic in, in an effective manner, whilst taking into account all of the changes which has occurred in our environment. No, definitely. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how our law adapts to, to take into account these new ways of working, whether it's done through legislation, through legislative intervention, or whether it's done through common law development. It'll be quite interesting to see whether we in a similar scenario yeah, from, from that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, well, thank you for your time, Paul, and thank you for joining us on Conversations in Business with RSM, and uh, we look forward to, to having a discussion again soon. That was Conversations in Business with RSM. Experience the power of being understood. Experience RSM. Visit rsmza.co.za.